0: Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Well, it's really a wonderful thing to sing praises to God. And uh, I did notice... Coming from the back and sitting in the front is different. (laughs) And uh, if you want to really be blessed, come sit in front. (laughs) Well, I was reminded this week that there is a passage in the New Testament that gives us commentary and insight into understanding the wanderings of Israel in the desert for those 40 years. And so this morning, I, I do want to go to that passage it is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So please turn with me in your Bible, and we're going to read just a couple of verses before and uh, into uh, that particular chapter. And next week I'll be focusing fully back in Exodus as well. You'd notice that a lot of the commentary here also gives us some detail, not given in Exodus, but given to us in the book of Numbers, uh, regarding. The wanderings in the desert. So reading then from chapter 9 and verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We all partake of one bread. Just so far this morning. Lord, we turn to your word this morning. Just very consciously aware that we constantly stand in need of your a grace being lavished on us, and Lord, for us to be able to respond this morning in ways that are pleasing and appropriate to you, we pray that your Spirit would be at work uh, through the preaching of your Word, but Lord, in the receiving of that Word, no, not only helping us to believe, but to live out the very things that we are instructed regarding uh, our walk of faith. And so we pray this, commending each other to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Some years ago, I visited the Tala game reserve. It's a small game reserve just south of Peter Pietermaritzburg. I was quite surprised to find there a warthog with two missing legs. Getting around in the rest camp. Uh, of Tala Game Reserve. I understand that, or understood then, that his life was saved from being caught in a trap. And then after some time in captivity to facilitate healing, he was released, set free to go on his way. But something struck me about that warthog. Now, we all know warthogs. A warthog is essentially a kind of a pig. It's a stupid animal. He's not very bright, I don't think. They're very cute little tail that sticks up in the air like an aerial when they go running. But they're lovely-looking animals, but I don't think they're too bright. So this stupid, ugly, hairy warthog made some kind of decision, has voluntarily, did voluntarily limit the exercise of his freedom for the sake of his own hide. he remained, he chose to remain in the rest camp. He knew, somehow he knew, that if, if he ever ventured on a walk outside of the protected camp, some other predator would have him for lunch. You see, there's a principle here that we need to be thinking about this morning. It's 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 logical, and I hope it's logical for you to see this morning that alongside in, in the case of the warthog, alongside of his given freedom, make choices to go anywhere you like danger lurks. As Christians, we also have been given great freedom. But just like that wounded warthog, there are many dangers. There are dangers that confront you and that confront me from day to day as we live out our lives as believers. One of these dangers I raised in the message last week from the book of Exodus is that of taking God for granted, not only taking God in terms of his person for granted, but taking the work of grace, this wonderful, amazing grace that he gives to us, taking this for granted. You remember the phrase I used is it's so easy to, to experience the amazing grace of God, but then to slide and to slip into a place where this grace is just very ordinary and everyday? So going back to the warthog, let's just think of the situation that he was in, certainly if he had any kind of consciousness, uh, and he probably has a limited type of consciousness, but what a blessing, what a blessing the warthog was found in the trap before he bled to death. Could have just bled and died. What a blessing that someone took the trouble to apply some tender love and care. I said that the Hill Campus this morning, some of our members would have taken him and made Bolta. Okay, some, somebody chose not to do that. They, they, they kept him alive. They nurtured him. What a blessing. What a blessing that, that, that while he was being healed, and I noticed even in the rest camp, people were giving him food. He didn't have to hunt and search for his own food. So all these blessings, all this, this being given to him. But imagine for a moment that all these good blessings led the warthog to a careless kind of lifestyle taking things for granted. If he were to become careless and lazy and lethargic and apathetic, not willing to take responsibility for his everyday safety, his life would be in danger. In other words, if he wandered out the camp, a lion uh, or some predator would kill him. Now, the same principle is what I'm trying to urge on you this morning applies to us as believers as a result of God's grace, God's amazing grace, you have been given tremendous freedom in, in the decisions, in the situations that you face from day to day. The decisions you make in the way that you live your life, in the de- lifestyle that you choose, you need to be aware, you need to be aware of the great danger of taking the grace of God for danger, uh, uh, for granted, and, and ending up in danger. So in this particular passage, Paul teaches this lesson by going to back to the people of Israel. So we're back in Exodus, we're back in, in, in the experience of these people wandering in the desert. And what I try to show you in the last message is that their presumption led to disaster. And so, my very first point this morning, and, and it's a warning, it's a warning. Be warned, be warned of the dangerous pathway, the road into presumption. The people of Israel, if we remember some of this story, had enjoyed many repeated, undeserved good things, blessings from the hand of God. In our passage in Exodus, we're told that they were under the cloud. Remember the cloud of God uh, leading them? Uh, God directing uh, their lives, their their, their paths as a nation. They all passed through the sea, verse 1. They were rescued from slavery. They were rescued from being slaughtered by the enemy, uh, Pharaoh and his armies, uh, they ate the same spiritual food in verse 3. They were sustained with food and spiritually God was at work strengthening them. They drank the same spiritual drink. They were sustained with water in some places they couldn't find and then was provided for by God. And then very interesting, the phrase, drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. There was the presence of Christ among them that they must have only seen as as some kind of distant reality. uh, A future that would become more uh, realistic for those of us who look backwards uh, on the presence and the incarnation of Jesus. But the point I'm trying to make, and I believe that the author here is making, the Apostle Paul, God's rescue. God's protection, God's guidance, God's sustaining them, God's forgiveness, God's fellowship, God's nurture. These were all good things. Good, gracious, generous gifts from the hand of God. Well, the Corinthians also had received so much from God. Judge for yourselves, he says in verse 15 and 16. What I say... The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? In other words, Paul is pointing them to the fact that they are included in being recipients of the redemption that was accomplished by Christ on the cross. Every spiritual blessing in Christ is theirs. He goes on, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? No longer excluded from the promises and the covenant, included in the family of God, adopted adopted as sons and daughters, uh, having God as their father. The Corinthians, more consciously than, I believe, the Israelites, participated in the spiritual blessings of Christ. People in Israel did so, but from a distance. And so we read in verse 4, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So let's try and bring this together. Like us, yet today, we're a good number of people like us. Also the people of Israel, thousands of people, and also the people in the Corinthian church. There was a congregation, there were a group of converts. We're all, we are all on the receiving end, the recipients of great undeserved blessings from God. But there's a danger. There's a huge danger. We will see in this passage that like them, those Corinthians, like those Israelites, if you and I take the gifts from God for granted, we'll become tardy. We'll become relaxed. We'll become lazy or lethargic or careless in our walk with God. And you know what happens? We become comfortable with sin. Comfortable with sin. Which leads me to my second point, be warned of God-provoked consequences. When you walk along a pathway of presumption, that is taking the things of God for granted. You find yourself, you will easily find yourself making irresponsible, self-indulgent choices, decisions that lead to sin and then trouble with God. Verse 5 of chapter 10, Nevertheless, with most of them referring to Israel, God was not pleased, they were, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And we know, looking back on the passage, on the history given to us, that only two people, two people from that generation actually entered into the promised land, indicating consequence. It was consequence of God's anger, God's displeasure with a presumptuous sinning generation. Well, their lapse into sin, which Paul urged the Corinthians to avoid, is what we want to look at this morning, because we do not want to lapse into those same categories, those same types of sin. And so he urges them in this passage that they ought to avoid those sins. And they included, in the first instance, indulging in idol worship. Verse 7, do not be idolaters, as some of them were, central baptists do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play now there's a phrase that goes around apparently in the office here during the week when the cat's away the mice will play apparently I'm the cat the rest of the staff are the mice they'll have to put up some cameras not sure but that's what happened. That's what happened back in, 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 in the desert here. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people of Israel, they see that Moses was delayed in coming down from the mountain, cat was away. They asked Aaron, listen to these words, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. Very tragically, the result of that request is the building of the golden calf. And the people sat down to eat and drink. They rose up to play. In other words, they had a great party uh, in pagan revelry. That's the kind of behavior they conducted themselves in. And we read of God's response in verse 10 of Exodus 32. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume, consume them. Do you see... God is provoked to anger. Folk, the human heart is an idle factory. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, going on inside of our hearts, uh, these substitutes being. Produced so easily, produced where we are tempted and, and and often yielding to that temptation, trusting to some kind of substitute instead of God, in place of God to serve to serve what ought to be uniquely of God's. Uh, uh, attention, God God alone is worthy of worship, no other gods before him, and, and this substitute is something that we need to be aware of we don 't build little idols from wood or silver anymore. Not many people do that kind of thing in, in the Western materialistic world, but we have all sorts of other idols, sometimes they, they are tangible types of idols, sometimes they philosophical or ideological idols that, that we place. Over and above God, and, and God is delegated or relegated to a, a, a lesser position. And, and, and that can be success in, in our particular careers, or, or the pursuit of money, or, or, or the like for power, or the thinking of expertise as, as placing us in a particularly uh, high position, or, or progress, or even our families. And I want to suggest to you this morning, we're a a multicultural, wonderful thing about Central Baptist Church is the diversity of culture. But let us not place our cultures and the issue of culture in a place that belongs to God. Sometimes those of us in ministry even hold in high regard certain celebrity preachers and theologians thinking of them almost better than God. We've to avoid this kind of thing. It, it provokes the, the anger of God. Nothing, nothing should take the place of God. Secondly, we are to avoid indulging in sexual immorality. Have a look at verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Now, folks, this is an important issue in our day. Somehow, somehow, the sociologists and the politicians are teaching us or are trying to teach us that sexual immorality or new sexual identities are some kind of social construct and therefore it doesn't matter what your particular choice or permutation is or may be. It's a lie. It's a lie from the devil. It's a deception. Sexual immorality with all of its permutations is not just a 21st century social construct. It's not just a particular choice in terms of identity. Depraved sexual perversion has emerged from sinful hearts down through the ages. Even in Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Some of you were quite uncomfortable a few weeks ago when we were reading uh, sequentially through the book of Genesis, and we were reading there of Lot's daughters who got their father drunk so that they could fall pregnant. What is that? The sexual perversion. It's the sinful heart coming up with self-indulgent expressions in disrespect and disregard for God's design and God's way. But here's the issue. It's not just the decision without consequence. Sexual perversion in all, in all of its decadent expressions is the kind of behavior that provokes It stirs anger and it stirs wrath in God. For Israel in the wilderness, their behavior resulted in a plague killing thousands in one day. Something the Western world needs to take note of in its current expression and disregard for God's design But there's another sin that Paul points out here that we ought to avoid in this dangerous road of presumption, taking advantage of the grace of God, is trying the patience of God. He says in verse 9, We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Israel put God to the test. When did they do that? We, again, we're told, it's, it's, this is not me, this is the scriptures. When they traveled from a place called Mount Hor, setting out by the way of the Red Sea, Numbers chapter, uh, 21, verse 4, the people became impatient on the way. Can you imagine it? Just whining and, 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 and complaining, uh, uh, unhappy. Verse 5, and the people spoke against God and Moses, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water. We loathe this worthless food. What did the Lord do? The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people so that many of Israel died. Folk, you need to know, if you don't know it yet, young people, young, there's some younger people yet today. God seldom leads us, as his people, along a smooth and straight path. He doesn't do that then when we find ourselves on what we think is bypass meadow, we so easily and so often think we know better than God. We become impatient with Him, dissatisfied for the particular lot that He has for us, sometimes even having the audacity to tell Him that what we think is a better way. Simply put, Think about what's going on here. When we people think we who are we finite, sinful people think we know better than God, who is all wise and good and all knowing. We're actually placing ourselves in a in a place of pointing out to God that He has got some shortcomings. That God is failing. It's not in the nature of God to have shortcomings or to fail. And there are consequences that will follow. As I thought about this passage, I thought having this kind of impatience with God is nothing short than bordering on blasphemy. Well, we come back to the next sin to avoid, the one that we've been repeatedly finding in the book of of Exodus and that of grumbling. Verse 10, uh, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now again, we have an example showing the consequences. That's what I'm trying to show you this morning, is that, that our negligence in sinful decision-making has consequences. The terrible consequences of Israel grumbling. Chapter 14 of Numbers, verse 27. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. What will he do to them? Your dead body shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number, listed in the senses from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Verse 30, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. I think that's scary. Consequence for their sin was severe punishment. So in spite, and folk, yes, the goodness of God. In spite of God's goodness. Let's not forget the goodness of God, the grace of God. The many, the varied blessings. When we disregard God, when we think we know better than God, when we take God for granted, and we make decisions that, that are in defiance of God. The anger of God may be provoked, and harsh discipline followed. And so, thirdly, this morning, be aware that you are in danger. Be aware. Simple illustration. I just thought it's a wonderful gift to know that your body has a built-in warning system. Do you know that? Your body has a built-in warning system. Let me give you an example. It prevents you from, imagine you cooking in the kitchen and you've got red hot stove uh, on the go and you put your hand on that red hot stove. You're not going to keep it on the stove. The pain that you will feel, the signal that will send via your nerve system to your brain is going to make you jump. It it It's a blessing. It's a blessing that your body has a built-in warning system. The Bible, in this particular passage, in this particular part of this message, is bringing a wonderful warning. It's It's a gift from God. It's a grace gift from God. An act of grace from God when He warns presumptuous, careless people about the danger of judgment under the wrath of God. The warning issued to the Corinthian, the believers, those believers, the sinful action of them, the people of Israel, God's reaction to their sinful action is a lesson to us. It's an example that is given uh, and should affect our attitude and decision-making in terms of the evil that may be before us. 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now these things took place as examples for us. Why? That we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. That's a blessing from God. He's warning us beforehand. Not going to get to the end of the road and say, Oh, Lord, I didn't know. Of course I warned you. Of course I told you. Of course you knew. These things have been written down as an act of warning, especially as we may from time to time find ourselves on the slippery slope into reckless, unthinking, sinful behavior. Beware, be warned. Severe consequences can follow. And so there's there's an issue here that we need to take to heart to keep in the back of our minds. Not one of us, no one can claim to have arrived in a particular place of permanent stability and safety. No one. Overconfidence equates to presumption. When when that attitude of presumption takes over, beware, the fall is around the corner. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, therefore, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. And folk, there's a lesson there. There's a challenge there. Day by day, hour by hour, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I'm deviating from my text. Be sure to be be walking on the straight and the narrow. If the people in the desert went on setting their hearts on evil things in different ways, provoking the anger of God, Then the Christian in Corinth also certainly had no immunity from the wrath of God. And by deduction, by application, you and I therefore also have to be careful. We're not immune from the disciplining hand of God. The good news in this passage is it doesn't have to get to that. It doesn't have to get there. My fourth point. Be aware that there is a way of escape. So, I hope you've seen so far in this message that, that you will face temptation. All of us, me, you, young, old, we, we, men, women, you will face temptation. It's part of life. It's part of this world we're living in. It's part of that, that residual, those remaining marks of sin that remain in us. Our, our desire to sin uh, can sometimes feel, feel so much more powerful than the desire to do what is right to God. You've all been there. We know what it feels like. So therefore, an important question that that we may want to ask, what if I cannot resist temptation? What, as someone has suggested, God puts us in a position where resistance is impossible, a situation where we have no real choice other than to buckle under the pressure of sin? Well, I want to respond to that kind of fear. God gives assurance that overcoming any given temptation is entirely possible. It's possible. You can choose. The grace of God is not only evident in the warning, but what I want to call this morning, it's also evident in the counsel. God gives us Counsel. Don't have to go to some special counselor you think might wave a magic wand to, uh, to, to stop you from doing whatever sin you, you sin. Follow the counsel in the Word of God. That's, that's what we need to do. God provides in this passage, there is always a way of escape. A couple of facts we need to know regarding this counsel. Folk, you're not the only one facing temptation. So that's a good realization, because sometimes we think, woe is me, uh, because it's only me that has this particular challenge. No, no, no. Paul points out in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not uniquely tempted by sin. It may take a particular form, it may happen in a particular situation in your life, but the temptation that you suffer, somebody else has suffered, will suffer, is suffering. It's common. It has been experienced by countless others down through the generations. Whether that be the temptation to grumble, the temptation to indulge in idolatry, sexual perversion, or the testing of Christ, whatever it may be, we are no more, no less subject to temptation than those came before us and those who come after us. Number two, you will never, here's the good news, you will never be in an impossible position. God is not wanting us to fall, folk. See that in this passage. God is at work. God is ready to help us. And one of the ways He helps us is is us believers because He's actively at work in our lives to keep us from being tempted in this process of sanctification. But sanctification is God working and you working. It's not just God working. It's when you sit back or I sit back on our backsides and think we don't need to do anything or take any responsibility, we're gonna fall. Gonna fail. And so we're told here in verse 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But you have an ability. You have decision-making powers. You have the advice. You have the counsel of God. You have the Spirit of God in you. God promises that you can, in the power of the Spirit, respond to any given temptation by resisting it. Verse 13, the third part. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. He will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Which leads me to my next bit of counsel from this passage. Your responsibility. My responsibility. You must take up the provision that God gives You see, if you're ever caught in a building that's on fire, now we're talking illustration, you're caught in a building that's on fire, you know that the architect that designed that building was required to provide a fire escape in the building. So the the first thing you want to do is not run to the lift, to the the elevator, you run to the fire escape, the steps that lead you from the burning building. And so we know that, we know that. So therefore, what we're told in this passage in verse 14, therefore, my beloved, therefore, what has gone before? My beloved, flee from idolatry. In fact, the counsel is very straightforward and simple. Run like blazes. The problem that we have is we flirt with sin, we run towards sin, we play with sin, but the simple advice from God is run, run, run. Flee from idolatry in all its manifested expressions. Run away as fast as you can. The appeal to be rich, have lots of money, and, 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 and put money in the place of, run from that. It's difficult for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Run from corruption or sexual perversion. It's so easy to play, to play, to flirt, to justify. Run for the sake of your soul, for the sake of eternity and and covetousness and and other things. I like the example. It's been a challenge to me, an encouragement to me in my own life. Uh, When tempted by Potiphar's wife, she's the boss's wife. She holds the power. He's the servant. He's the slave. Must have been appealing to him. Mashi must have been attractive. As the single bloke in a foreign country, uh, in all likelihood, most of us would have been feeling sorry for ourselves and entered into self-indulgence. But God had provided the way of escape and he took it. What did he do? He turned and he ran. Fleeing is what God says, at least this very practical step. Any form of idolatry. You know, I was thinking about this uh, uh, the movies you watch, the YouTube video clips that lead you in a particular direction. It's a total disregard for the counsel that God gives. We're running towards something instead of running away from something. Well, what I was taught as a young person, and I'm grateful to youth pastors who, uh, who really guided us as young people, used to say to us, don't play in the devil's backyard. Fleeing from any form of idolatry is what we ought to do. Not forgetting, as Paul points out, and I want to remind you today, our participation in the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Redemption has been accomplished for us. It is being applied presently by the Spirit, not just in the, in the act of conversion, but for the true believer, the ongoing work of that sanctification. Jesus saves sinners. Well, I want to conclude I want you to stop and consider even just for a few minutes the blessings of God in your life. There are blessings of common grace, the rain that falls on the godly and the ungodly, the air that we all breathe, this beautiful country that we live in is a blessing. But there are those redemptive blessings. It's wonderful to be part of the family of God, having experienced that miracle of adoption, of being born again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the presence that He never leaves us nor forsakes us, sealed for the day of redemption. What, an, what a gift, eh? What a blessing. And then, we in recent days, only recent centuries, have the exposure to the written word of God. For hundreds of years, The ordinary man and woman was dependent on a priest and normally that priest would try and teach them the Bible in a language that they didn't, that wasn't their own. What a blessing living when we do. The list is long. Don't allow those blessings to put you in a place of taking them for granted. Especially those of us who believe in Salvation is of God. I've been spending a couple of sessions with two men in our church uh, talking about eldership, bringing their names a little later in the year to be appointed as elders. And one of the sessions we were talking about the challenges that we face in any local congregation. Elders need to be aware that false teaching Is always going to be a challenge. Gotta look out for the false teachers. But another one of the challenges we looked at that we see in the pastoral epistles is that of apostasy. Now, what do I mean by apostasy? Apostasy happens when somebody at a particular point in time demonstrates what appears to be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, I've seen it even in our own church, yeah. Previous churches I've been in, where somebody is very involved, up front, promoting the gospel, part of ministry, running ahead of everybody else. But in the course of time, they slip away. And eventually get to a place where they no longer believe. Did they ever believe, really? Really? The sad thing is they don't even want to believe anymore. That's called apostasy. It's not somewhere that you want to be. Take the warning. The fall is never planned. It happens as a slow slide or drift that you did not expect. Let me go back to the warthog. Stupid animal. Be on your guard. Don't take the liberties that may lead you to disaster and destruction. Lord, we pray for that today. Keep us aware, Lord, that we are sinful people of what we were, saved by your grace, which is so, Lord, amazing, undeserved, unexpected. And yet, Lord, we can so easily, I confess myself, so easily take this for granted. Lead us and keep us by your Spirit, grateful, humble. May we know, Lord, what it is to be those described as poor in spirit before you. Keep us from arrogance. Keep us, Lord, from self-righteousness. Keep us from sin, we pray. Help us to make decisions that are pleasing to you, we pray. And Lord, I pray if anybody be on the verge of falling, that you would snatch them as it were, Lord, as we read in Zechariah as a burning stick from the fire. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.